Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on growing self-awareness, build better relationships, and improve your life. In it, you'll discover the importance of self-awareness and three ways that you can improve yours. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, two, three. October is National Women in Business Month, and over the course of the month, we'll be hearing from some exciting women in various areas of business. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I know you'll enjoy hearing from today's guest as much as I do. She is the coaching and mental health specialist and head coach at 5050 Coaching, an online on-demand mental health coaching service for business. She's also a member of the International Coaching Federation and has a lot of experience in executive coaching. Prior to her coaching career, she founded and operated several retail stores. She is based in Horsham, England. Welcome to the show, Verity Simcox. Hi, thank you for having me on. Well, I am so glad that you could join me and I'm looking forward to our conversation. But before we jump in, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. I just shared some highlights, but um, I'd love to hear a bit more of your story. Gosh, well, uh, where can I start? Um, you did such a good job. So I, um, I'm a coach and I'm an executive coach, but I specialize in mental health and well-being with all of my clients and everything that I do. Um, so I uh, work with uh, individuals, with private individuals. I work with groups and teams. And as part of 50-50 coaching, we work with organizations to bring in coaches um, that will support well-being on all levels of anybody's business. Um, I'm also a doctoral degree student, so I've just embarked on undertaking a PhD at Birkbeck, University of London. So I'm super excited about that. That's um, in organisational psychology, and I'll be researching mental health in the workplace um, and exploring this fit with coaching, um, what it's like to manage uh, employees that might be suffering from poor mental health, how to promote well-being, and kind of all those exciting well-being topics. That is wonderful to hear. I think we'll have to bring you back once you once you finish that research. <laughs> when I know more, um, yeah. No pressure, um, but such an interesting topic. Um, yeah, so that's me. And I suppose, you know, I'm also a mum, a dog owner, all those other things that go along with life as well. Well, that is a, a perfect intro into what we're going to be talking about today, because you have a really interesting approach to coaching that I think not a lot of people um, have, have necessarily thought about, where you integrate your therapeutic background into the way that you coach. Can you describe that um, to our listeners? Yeah, so uh, there's a there's a really hard boundary between coaching and therapy from a professional mm. point of view, which is, you know, if a client shows up and they're in emotional distress, they've got poor psychological functioning, they're not, you know, they're maybe not as mentally well or healthy as they could be, that, you know, as a coach, you refer and you refer to a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I... I kind of come with this I have a therapeutic background and while I'm not a therapist I have that training and foundation and so that means that I can work with people on sometimes sensitive more sensitive and emotional subjects where Mm. other coaches would refer but actually that's kind of that's not really what I you know brought us together is it Elizabeth is actually what I'm also passionate about is encouraging coaches and leaders and managers and just humans to embrace in open conversations about mental health, about their own mental health and about other people's mental health. So that kind of really is what underpins my practice more than my therapeutic training is just this confidence to sit with somebody else if they're in distress and listen that's really impactful. Um, I feel like we've all probably had situations either as uh, a coach, a leader, or as a person being coached, where there was that intersection of um, a mental health, maybe not crisis, but a mental health um, situation and 
uh, and a business situation, right? Because you're a person at work. And so if you're depressed, you're going to be depressed when you're at work. If you're anxious, you're going to be anxious at work. If you're grieving, you're grieving at work. If you're um, anything else that might happen is going to impact you at work. And if your manager is just trying to deal with the you who's at work for eight hours and ignoring yeah. the experience that you're having, they're going to have a limited potential to actually coach you and interact with you and help you be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, we've, we've all got stuff, you know, we, we have life and somewhere along the journey, I wonder whether we've forgotten that actually we all, you know, we go home, you know, we have things going on at home. We have things going on at work and it, it all flows together. So yeah, you know, if, if you've got a challenge in one area of your life, the chances are it's probably going to show up in another area. It might show up in your performance. It might show up in your relationship, you know, with your spouse or your family. It's, it's there. It's part of who we are. Um, and the other thing I think is having depression or being anxious, you know, they, they don't preclude you from being good at what you do. They don't, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you might need a bit more support to uh, increase your performance and, you know, some of those other uh, more <laughs> work-based interventions that, um, we talk about but actually it doesn't stop you turning up to work the difference is how do we support people so that they turn up to work and we accept them for who they are with whatever they've got going on in their life and we give them the right tools the right setting the right environment so they can fly they can just do their best and you know get a buzz out of it Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I have personal experience with that as well. And there's, there's something about having areas of your life where you are successful and where you are getting things done that is actually really reaffirming and helps you understand that you're a valuable person and that you're contributing to the world. And that can help when you're experiencing depression or anxiety or other situations where you begin to doubt your self-worth. And so, if as leaders, we can, we can provide that support for people and we can provide them the coaching and, and understand that they're whole people, mm -hmm. um, we can actually, even though it's not our responsibility, but we're actually potentially contributing to um, shoring them up and, and helping them on their journey to improve their, their mental health condition, um, if that's something that they're working on. And so it's a, it's a real opportunity we have as people who spend, um, you know, the majority of waking hours with people yeah. um, to, to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And as a coach, you know, we're hired to get the best out of people. You know, we're hired from this position of, you know, we want people to do more. We want them to flourish. We want to increase their performance. And if there's something going on behind the scenes, it's going to come up in the coaching session. It's going to come mm -hmm. up as a block. It's going to be mentioned. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot to other coaches all over the globe. And, you know, often we build, as a coach, we build up really intimate relationships mm -hmm. um, with our clients. You know, we get to know all about them. And often we might be the only safe space they've got to actually say, do you know what? I'm really struggling. You know, I've been really low for such a long time. You know, I think I might, you know, have depression or I'm just certainly feeling depressed. And we might be just that source of, you know, a place to go and to take it and to talk about it. And when you go back to like that original question was, you know, how do I integrate my approach? I think that is where I am with this is I would sit and, 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 explore that with a client you know what does it mean for them what is you know feeling depressed stopping them doing and then look at you know do they need therapeutic support is that something they want to explore or is actually they can manage it how you know with their self-care methods and just being open to those conversations Definitely. Because what I'm hearing from you, you know, I've used some examples of yeah. um, actual, actual, you know, diagnosable 
significant mental yeah. health conditions, but we're all dealing with stuff. And so yeah. as a coach, just being open and not saying, you know, put blinders <laughs> over, yeah. over your eyes or cover up this part of you. I don't want to think about that part of you. We all have issues. We all have concerns. And so understanding a person, you know, um, just is there something that's causing people to lose energy, lose motivation? It doesn't have to be to the level of diagnosable depression um, for it to for it to impact the way that they are at work. And so if you're not willing and able to to talk about it, you're really removing yourself from um, the potential to to make an impact on that. And you're going to end up likely trying things and, and having conversations that don't go anywhere if you're ignoring the fact that this person just doesn't feel terribly motivated right now. And mm -hmm. so if you coach somebody when they're in that state, the same way that you would coach somebody who is like, oh, you know, I'm all in, I'm ready to get things done. <laughs> the message isn't going to sink in the same way. No, and it, the coaching profession is built correctly on the assumption that our clients are mentally fit and mentally healthy and that they're resourceful. And I think it's those times when, you know, maybe the interventions aren't working like you want them to. Maybe the conversations are getting stuck and you can't unstick them. And it's, you know, I think it's becoming more mentally health aware as a coach and mm -hmm. considering that. Um, and also, we are looking at two industries, therapy and coaching, that fundamentally come from very similar theories. Um, uh, Carol Kaufman, who um, is very highly regarded in the coaching space, she did an amazing article recently on For uh, for Forbes, and she talked about what are the difference, and she kind of compared them as houses, and they're different rooms in the same house. Mm. And for me, that really resonated because, you know, it's you've all got a kitchen that you cook in and you know a bathroom that you take a shower in and you wouldn't necessarily do one in the other but they're still part of us they're still part of this house and her analogy I find just really spot on as you know how coaching can help particularly within this space you know we can help promote well-being we can look at ways to um, increase people's resilience but actually if we've got somebody that has got um, a mental health challenge or a difficulty whether that's diagnosed or not that's something um, I know is a key difference with you guys stateside to us over here in the UK and Europe um, I think the diagnosis is very prevalent um, with your healthcare system over there mm -hmm. uh, so I, I do think that's a that's a slight cultural difference but actually I think um you know, accepting that there are things we can do for people, no matter where they're coming from, and also recognizing that, you know, building these things as a coach, we can help, you know, we, we can support by listening and being open. Absolutely. Um, something I'm wondering as, as we discuss this is, was there a situation that you experienced either yourself or as a leader, as a coach, that kind of led you on this path that helped you to discover the value of integrating um, a therapeutic approach into coaching? There's so many. <laughs> There's so many where I can start <laughs> with. The one I refer to the most is sadly one of my very first team coaching experiences. And this was coming up 10 years ago now. And I was a huge novice in coaching I look back now and I wouldn't have classed myself as a coach. Um, and I was doing a workshop and I had planned it and I, you know, I can't stress how new I was. And I was working um, to kind of rebuild some communication and just so the people, this group of leaders got to know each other a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And the senior leader of the team pulled me aside just before the session and said oh Verity I didn't know how to tell you this um but our, the reason we're doing this is because this person who was in the group in the room I was about to walk into um they actually attempted suicide a few months ago and mm. we this is all part of their returning to work and he said the impact it had on us as a team nobody knew 
And he said, we just realised that if we didn't know what was going on for him, and they these guys had been colleagues for quite a long time, mm-hmm. that if we didn't know, then, you know, how could we ever support him? And a lot of the stuff they just wanted to work on was just being, you know, together and getting to know each other as people, not as, you know, Susan in accounts and, you know, whoever else, Martin in, you know, wherever Martin works. They actually want to know about each other. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just resonated me because I was like, gosh, wow. One, you know, am I equipped to deal with this? That was kind of my first thing, which sent me off on a rabbit warren of exploring <laughs> and researching this. But actually, I you know I thought what what do I want I can give them what they want I can sit here I can bring them together I can facilitate this group for a few hours and I can leave them feeling more connected Mm. and that was enough that was what they wanted but the reason I kind of said there's other stories is Uh because when I was training and I was kind of training to be a therapist we got asked very early on, you know, why do you, why do you want to be a therapist? And I said, and I actually I have it written down still, um, you know, I want to be able to support people before they get to the stage of being in a crisis or being so emotionally distressed, they need a therapist. And it was that moment of realization of actually, how do you, how can I support somebody before they get, to that place where they think, do you know what? I really need a therapist. That is a really great point. And that's something that, um, you know, again, whether it's an external coach who, who maybe has more potential to do that, or whether it is a, a leader, a manager, um, it, you do have that ability to, if, if you can deepen your relationship with somebody, if they feel open and, and comfortable sharing with you some of their concerns, some things that they're, that they're dealing with, to be able to help and support them, as opposed to them feeling like they have to deal with this alone. Mm-hmm. And just, the, just that alone is such a huge difference in terms of the way somebody might be experiencing a situation of, you know, again, I, I, I love that you mentioned this before, you know, it could be anything, but we're all dealing with something, whether it's, um, you know, over COVID, obviously, we, we've seen that um, mm. come to the forefront in a, in a different way. People who, um, you know, they have children who are now um, experiencing school from home. And yeah. as a as an, a parent, they're having to deal with educating them and, and putting them in front of screens and making sure that they don't um, you know, slack off and fall asleep and all the other, all the other stuff you have to watch. Um, you've had people dealing with the anxiety that themselves or a loved one might um, get COVID and, and have a really bad uh, experience and, and potentially even loss of life. Um, you have people dealing with, you know, maybe I have a, have an elderly family member that I'm caring for and, and all of these other situations that we're now seeing, you know, even just to the logistics of maybe somebody lives in a small home or a small apartment and they they don't have a quiet place so they can work or they have a young child not old enough for school and now they're the ones who are trying to do childcare the same hours of the day that they're also trying to work and all of these situations are under a spotlight with covid yeah. uh, but to an extent they've always been a part of your employees lives your 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 coaches lives and if you ignore that when people, you know, if they're physically coming to work, if when they leave work, they're going into a situation that has challenges, that has complexities, where they're being called upon to, to stretch themselves, to, to do things, to, to interact, to, to make changes. Um, if you, if you ignore that, if you just try to pretend that that doesn't exist, you're really doing a disservice to that person and you're also not allowing yourself to understand a big part of who they are, which yeah. which is a limitation to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And a limitation to your relationship you have with this mm-hmm. person. Um, but I think what COVID has done is um, put a lot of people immediately out of their comfort zones. 
So there's a great little graphic that has kind of like these circles and it's like the middle circle is like your comfort zone, all the stuff that, you know, you, you can deal with. And, you know, if you think of like stressing situations, you know, if your car breaks down, I don't know, or, um, you know, there's problems with the transport. So you can't use public transport to get to and from work, you know, like it's in a comfort zone, maybe it's, it's challenging, it's difficult, but you can get through it. And then what COVID did was it changed the whole landscape. Everyone's comfort zones changed because the rules that we were living by and playing by, they were no longer valid. They were no longer right for life the next day. So everybody across the globe had to get up, wake up and do things differently. And that is, you know, it's hugely uncertain. There was no, you know, ability to plan. There was no predictability and it was, you know, it's been hugely um, challenging for everybody. And sadly, that has, you know, made mental health or mental ill health, I should say, more prevalent. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there was quite a strong argument that when the pandemic kicked off, be, you know, because of how we would be, you know, confined to our homes and the way that... Um, you know, the globe has tackled this by um, isolating families from each other and, you know, masks and all the things we've had to live through and are still living through in lots of different places. Um, You know, there wasn't maybe necessarily enough attention putting into, you know, how are we going to support these people in their mental health? You know, what -hmm. what do they need? Um, And, you know, like green space, you know, green space is hugely beneficial for mental health and mm-hmm. well-being. And there are, you know, huge benefits to being out, not necessarily just exercising. Physical ex- exercise has great benefits for mental health, but just being out in a park, you know, in a garden, being able to see trees, um, you know, that is hugely beneficial for how we feel. And yeah, being confined, you know, if, if you're in a flat in a, in a city area and you can't go out, you know, you don't have that option. You just don't have anywhere to look. And it becomes very, you know, challenging to kind of keep that when you're used to just taking it for granted. You know, you're used mm-hmm. to seeing things when you're out and about. Um, Absolutely. I can say um, as, as somebody in New York City, I even just in my daily commute when when I was commuting into the office, you know, I'm I'm not going to say it was fun every day, but it, it, you know, dealing with slush and and unpleasant weather and crowded trains, but that that time on, you know, walking to the train and seeing the changing of the seasons around me. And mm-hmm. I live in an area that has um has a, a decent number of trees and seeing the leaves change color, seeing the different flowers that that come out um, on the train itself, seeing people. And I think there is something about seeing people and seeing their faces and just being a part of something. And then you're at work and you see your colleagues and you have relationships with them over years and you you get to have lunch with people and all these other things. And the physical exertion. When I work yeah. from home, I don't have any of that, right? And it's I, I can go from taking, you know, easily seven to ten thousand steps a day to taking 250 steps a day. And <laughs> the physical um, exertion alone is remarkable when it comes to kind of shoring up mental health, uh, again, regardless of if you actually have a, a, an issue or a condition or, or, or a mental health, um, you know, diagnosis, or just for everybody in general, um, physical, just getting up and moving is good for you. <laughs> and the fact that so many people weren't doing that, and, you know, I will raise my hand, I am one of them, um, to, to just be put so far outside, uh, you know, that I love that word to use, just everybody's comfort zone, right? It's it's completely different. And all the parts of your day-to-day that you didn't even think about just taken away for so many people. Um, It's a big, it's it's like the foundation was just swept out from under you. And Mm -hmm. you really have to think about, okay, what's left? And how is this different? And what am I missing? And are there bright spots that I can find? Um, You know, are there things that that I can make up for, but it's a, it's a very different situation. It's not just 
um, you know, actually looking at COVID numbers and, and being concerned about your health and the health of your family, there, there's a lot of other factors um, yeah. to take into account as well. And again, um, as leaders, it, it can be easy to just not think about that. Yeah, I think the thing, when we look at this in a work context, it's whether, you know, we're talking about a physical office or the metaphorical office now, which is more and more you know popular, people working from home still and hybrid working. You know, we have a list of tasks to do. We have things to deliver. We have, you know, times and, you know, there's, there's all those constraints that happen in the workplace. And that it's often challenging to kind of break that habit to, you know, think, well, what can we do differently? What do our people need? You know, what do they need so that they can get everything done? And they're actually feeling really well and really positive about everything they're doing. You know, they it's meaningful to them. It's giving them the sense of purpose that maybe they can't get at the moment because COVID is stopping them. You know, whatever you know their hobbies might be and all those other ways that we you know get purpose and meaning and into our lives absolutely even um you know kind of i don't want to use the word sleep but um you know you might have somebody on your team who on the weekends they're in a band and they perform or they do stand-up comedy or you know, I will use a hobby of mine. I knit and there was a store that I would go to and there's a community of people and we just sit around a table and knit. And when people have lost those outlets, um, again, as, as a leader, as a coach, you know, you don't want to just ignore the fact that that's happened and, and to just even ask people, you know, do you have an outlet, a creative outlet? Do you have, um, connections? How are you doing? Just that question alone um, can be a, a really powerful question to ask and, and to listen. So really. And, but are these outlets meaningful and mm-hmm. are they bringing, you, you know, are they bringing you joy? Mm-hmm. And how do you, you know, how do you bring that? How do you, because that, you know, that stuff is hugely important to us as, you know, as people and our well-being. you know, what makes you happy? Mm-hmm. To Definitely. kind of ask them that, that big existential question, you know, what makes you happiness? What is happiness? <laughs> I'm sure you can cover that in a 15 minute coaching session. Uh, yeah, no. maybe not. But, <laughs> but certainly, you know, um, you know, I've I've heard you talk about XYZ hobbies. Um, you know, what what does that bring you? What what do you enjoy about that? You know, maybe there's somebody who goes hiking and maybe they're into it because they feel physically strong and and good when they do that maybe they're up into that because they they like to see nature whatever it might be to just ask those questions and then um again as a coach as a leader see if you can help people discover ways that they can get that same benefit in a way that in a way that makes sense now and it's again it's just it's a way that as a coach you can you can help somebody um in a way that's going to enable them to be, you know, healthier and happier outside of work, but also more productive <laughs> at work too. And and there is a reason why as a leader, it's something that, that you can think about what, you know, we all want to be good people um, uh, and, and good teammates and everything, but um, it, it also does come down to the bottom line and, um, and you do see better performance in people who who have the appropriate outlets and have things that are making them happy and are, are coming to work, um, you know, on Monday morning, excited about their yeah. job, as opposed to just kind of feeling like a slog. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, there's so many different avenues we could explore from what you've just said a hundred times. Yes. But it's what's kind of really shouting out for me is this, you know, how do you then, how do you get people to stop? And actually, as a leader, how do you how do you encourage people to stop and take a break? And this reminds me of a, actually a, a conversation I was having only yesterday with a client, which was working with them on prioritizing breaks and prioritizing coaching as a break so that people come back and they're refreshed. So they've taken the hour out of their day and they've had that. Oh, my gosh. OK, so. I've been, I've offloaded, I've got some action points. 
I now feel more motivated. And how can you do that as a leader so that when you are really busy and your team is really busy and everyone's flat out and there are deadlines and it's stressful. And we're not talking about mental health here now. We're just talking about those pressures that, you know, really do, you know, we experience. How do you encourage people to take a break and go and do something they enjoy to recharge? Absolutely. Uh, and, and sometimes it can be, it, it, you can, you can repurpose um, something in a different way. I'm thinking of, um, I have one-on-ones with my team members and when the weather's nice, um, I myself, and I encourage them instead of doing this on zoom, let's get on the phone and you yeah. walk around your neighborhood and I'll walk around my neighborhood and you can get the same amount done in terms of conversation. You probably are going to have some more interesting things that you talk about because you'll see something funny and share it with them or, or something beautiful, but you're also both um, experiencing that that boost that comes from getting outside and and getting moving, and so um, you know th- th- you also need to have breaks where you're not talking about work and not you know not doing work at all. But you can also kind of repurpose some things or do them in a different way that provides a break um, to at least some level, and and that that can be incredibly beneficial. Yeah, look, I um, I don't know all the research off the top of my head, but I know that there, you know, there is a wealth of research, you know, years and years of research that went into office plans and, you know, removing the booths that kind of were really prevalent in, well, I think they're still, they're still you know, there obviously are still offices with them, but those, you know, independent booths where you don't see anybody and you don't get up and you kind of go in and that's it. Um you know, and actually how isolating that was for people and the damage isolation has on you as a person and actually what that does to your performance. Mm-hmm. So sadly, what's happened in this, you know, COVID is everybody's working from home because we have to, because we know logically that's one of the best things to keep us safe and to, you know, keep the numbers down and, you know, protect our hospitals and protect our families. But actually what we've done in that is we've just built ourselves a digital booth. You know, we built an isolation booth and not only, you know, is it no longer in the office where we can forget about home and forget about the kids and tea and coffee and whatever else is going on. But we, you know, we put all of that in our booth with us. So mm-hmm. we're, you know, we've got more on our plate and we're isolated from all the people we need. And there's a huge amount of like social capital we get from understanding that, you know, oh, if I make a cup of tea, I know, you know, Elizabeth, she'll have one as well at the same time. And, you know, if I meet so-and-so in the hall, I know that we're going to talk about whatever game was on at the weekend. That's all gone because you don't have those impromptu reaction, you know, interactions with people. So there's no just like, oh, you know, guys who watched the game last night you know what happened and that banter has gone um and I think that's something that I know a lot of coaches that work with this hybrid um you know with organization to support hybrid working and well-being are looking you know to bring back in in those conversations and get that human to human you know just like be people with each other again, not just colleagues. Does that make any sense? That that really, really does. And, you know, when you think about um, our office, we had a bunch of people who were foodies. And so, you know, coming into work and, you know, around lunchtime, oh, what did you bring for lunch? Or what did, what did you get for lunch? And what have you been cooking lately? Um, or you've got multiple people watching a TV show and you talk about what happened over the weekend or sports or whatever it might be. Um, you can think about, um, you know, can we make that happen? Can we, can we enable those conversations? Um, you know, if we do a daily meeting in the morning, you know, not just talking about what are the projects what's everybody's big goal of the day, but having that time for chit chat, if you can make it work. Um, and really just thinking, how can we, how can we replace that? Yeah. But what we're talking, you know, we're talking about now is, is certainly well-being. So it's not, you know, if we kind of flip back to this mental health side of things, Mm-hmm. These, you know, having these conversations and building this sort of relationship consciously into our working lives now, 
this is stuff that helps employees and helps you as a leader helps you know us as people me as a coach it, it helps us to kind of increase our well-being reserves and it helps us to just keep ourselves topped up you know if you kind of think of ourselves as I don't know a car whatever it's a petrol you know you've got the petrol gauge and instead of being like going down towards empty all these little they're like just little reserves that keep us nearer the top nearer the full of the tank that's a that's a really great analogy. Um, I'd, I'd like to maybe spend um, a bit of time, you know, we've talked about some big picture best practices, yeah. but I know you work with leaders um, on helping them to be better coaches. And I wonder if whether it's COVID related or, or not, um, if there are any best practices that you can identify that that really, if somebody wants to be better at coaching, they want to connect better to the people that they're coaching. Um, do you have any advice or best practices for them? So there's, there's a few, but I think the first ones that come to my mind is, is learning about listening. And it's, when you say that as a coach, it, it is much more than just listening to a conversation and thinking, what am I going to say next? It's actually really listening to what the other person is telling you and giving them space to talk. So one of the challenges a lot of um, you know leaders that I work with face is just sitting and embracing that and not having an agenda and kind of throwing out the rule books of things that we're necessarily taught on this, you know, leadership journey as it was so far but this power of silence um and asking less you know asking questions but asking less and not judging in your listening so that might be you know not not responding uh in maybe a bit of non-verbal communication that is a little bit um controversial or you know making sure that you're fully present for the person that is in front of you whether that you know is another leader as a colleague or whether it's you know somebody you manage or even you know whether it's your spouse I think I know we talk about leaders and we talk about this in a work environment but you know sometimes we just need to listen um and I think with my top tip for listening coaches that want to advance their coaching is um, there is an amazing author called Nancy Klein, and she has done a whole series of books called Time to Think. And her coaching approach is phenomenal. And she she asks like one sentence, she might repeat it three or four times. And to sit with somebody in silence while they process their thoughts, I think is a huge leadership skill. Mm. That, that is incredibly impactful. And I know something, um, part of it is, is just a communication style, uh, maybe a yeah. personality thing. But um, I, I experienced this myself. I have a tendency, if I ask a question and somebody doesn't respond quickly enough, I will answer it for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not good listening. That's not helping them to, to discover the answer yeah. for themselves. And so really, um, you know, there's, there's the true deep listening and there's active listening where you're, you know, simple yeah. questions like, tell me more. Yeah. Um, and th- something that's really important about listening, especially active listening, is if somebody discovers an idea for themselves, it's much more impactful than if you told them that same thing. Yeah. So if I advised you to do something, to take some action, You may or may not do it. But if in conversation, I asked you some questions and you discovered that idea, your sense of ownership makes it more likely that you're going to follow up on it. And it's an incredibly powerful thing that you can accomplish through just the basic skill of effective listening. And um, it, it, it does enable a much more valuable conversation. Yeah, it it does. And, there's I'm not um I'm not a neuroscience expert by any stretch of the uh, imagination but I know that there is an awful lot of neuroscience around those like aha moments that you've just talked about 
that like when they identify something and they you know they're going to action it and it's uh, you know it, it's it's much more profound and the response it has neurologically and is 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 very different to being given an instruction of you know if you do this it will produce y um so yeah that i totally agree uh, i totally agree um I'm trying to think what else. So I think the other thing I would really, you know, if leaders want to kind of work on their their coaching, and particularly within this like mental health space, is well, there's there's several things, but actually I think I'm gonna start start again with role modeling. And mm. behavior is hugely influential in the work space because you know our work life is hierarchical you know we see our boss and we see you know our boss's boss and um you know we see the behaviors that they display and the behaviors that got them from kind of maybe where we are to where we aspire to be so i think when it it comes to this coaching and supporting mental health is what are you doing as a leader yeah. that prioritizes your own well-being and how are you communicating that not like by you know oh, go and take a break but are you actually taking a break you know are you sending emails at nine ten o'clock at night are you up at you know five giving people a list of things to do and I might be being a bit flippant here but you know that that might have an impact on the people that you're sending these emails to and they might think wow you know this is what they're doing they're my boss they're my leader I've got to be up sending emails at 10 o'clock I need to be up doing this and actually you know as a leader you can show others how to behave and demonstrate the acceptable behaviors for prioritizing their well-being for talking about mental health just by doing things differently um, I mean it, it's I know it's getting more prevalent in the US as well as the UK here but like organizations closing for a well-being week or taking mm -hmm. you know a certain afternoon or we had it in the UK some organizations were doing half days on Fridays over here um, mm -hmm. throughout most of the pandemic because they were like no we're, we're just going to close the office and we're just going to give everybody that little bit extra time so that they can do what they need to do and they're not going to have any extra emails. And those behaviors are really significant. Mm -hmm. That's, that's incredibly impactful. And, and I would say not flippant at all. I, I know research shows, for example, if leaders take family leave, um, maternity leave, paternity leave, other things like that, and, um, and use the full amount of time that's available, yeah. It's much more likely that their employees will do the same. Yep. But if you have a leader who, you know, they have however long, 12 weeks of time, I think is a little more common in, in Europe. Um, you don't always see much time here, but, you know, they have those 12 weeks of time and they only take two weeks and then they're back at work. What the what message that sends is we expect that you'll do the same if you want to be successful. And it's you know, so often leaders have, have, you know, the passion for, for what they're doing. They're very excited about it. They have a, have a big vision, but they don't necessarily see how the behaviors that they're evidencing um, out of their own, you know, work style, their own passion, mm -hmm. their own excitement are a lesson and are visible to other people. And you might be sending a message you, you aren't even aware that you're sending. And uh, so that leads me on to kind of my one of my next points I was thinking about when you first asked that question is get a coach <laughs> if you want to be more impactful in your coaching style as a leader or whatever your journey is on coaching get a coach they will be there to help you figure out all of those behaviors they will be there to be your mirror they will help you become a better coach not as in like a coaching mentor that's going to critique your coaching style but mm -hmm. they will coach you. Um, and I, you know, there's obviously huge, um, you know, seeing you, seeing a leader having a coach makes it successful for others to have coaches. And it, you can break that kind of elitist um, status that sometimes comes with coaching and particularly executive coaching. Mm -hmm. But actually, by 
as a leader getting yourself a coach and experiencing coaching, you will naturally begin to introduce some of that coaching into your leadership style and your conversations with those that you manage, your, your colleagues, um, the key uh, stakeholders in the business, and it will infiltrate. So you mm-hmm. might find that everybody will it benefit from you investing in that experience. Absolutely. Um, you know, like, like you said, even just, oh, my coach asked this question and that led me to experience a breakthrough. I'm going to ask my people that same question, right? It can be literally just copying the behaviors, but also, like you said, it's, it's a visible sign to people on your team. If you think about, um, therapists, therapists have therapists of their own. And so, um, it's a, it's a great example of how just because, um, just because you've, you've gotten to a certain level in your career, just because you, you have a certain level of expertise, it doesn't mean you don't need a coach. And um, a coach can be helpful in so many ways. That's a, that's a really great example. Thank you, Verity. I think the last thing I just wanted to kind of end with on that is, we've actually already talked about this, Elizabeth, but is, is do you check in with mm-hmm. your employees? And well, just everybody, you know, do you check in? And what does that check-in look like? There was, a, there was some research done here in the UK and it found that during the pandemic, it was, I, I, I really should know the stats better, but I end up talking and then I forget different things. But I'm sure it was like a third. It was quite a high percentage of um, organizations didn't check in with their employees oh, wow. during the pandemic. And that, you know, are you asking are they, you know, are you are people okay? Are they asking, you know, what do you need? Do they have everything they need? You know, who do they need to help them with that? Just, I think a check-in is a hugely beneficial little tool that leaders can put in to becoming better leaders, but actually improving their coaching, you know, in finding out what's going on, like what is really going on. Absolutely. Um, you really won't know until you ask. And it, it it's always interesting to see that there are some people who um, their challenges are, are quite visible, um, yeah. whether just because of the kinds of challenges they are, or maybe it's their personality or, or whatever it might be. But you don't know who on your team might be just head down quietly working mm-hmm. and have a significant concern um, or, or, or level of stress that they're dealing with that could result in just out of nowhere, they quit their job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you haven't checked in, if you haven't asked those questions, you might be missing a way to, to really contribute to someone and help them. And that's a, that's a really powerful reminder. Yeah. All right. Um, a question I always like to ask our guests as we wind down is, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Wow. <laughs> so there's Good so question. many. And I was going to say there's so many. Where do you want to start? I mean, I think I've already pulled out a couple of um, a couple of bits already on the podcast. Um, but I suppose it depends on what, you know, what the listeners want. If they're looking to upskill their coaching, um, in particular, you know, particularly with the mental health, I would say, you know, go and get some training, go and do a mental health first aid course. I know that they're available in the US as well as all over the world. Go and you don't have to become a therapist, but Mm -hmm. go and understand what depression looks like in somebody, you know, what anxiety looks like, you know, what are the common mental health disorders that you are likely to see in other people? And I say common because quite often, you know, people will come up and say actually do you know about this very challenging diagnosable um, illness you know they'll say oh my gosh what about schizophrenia for example and actually you know that they're not necessarily something that you're going to encounter in coaching Mm -hmm. unless that person's already you know under psychiatric care or under the support of a psychologist they've got a medical professional involved um Whereas the depression, you know, experiencing depression, feeling anxious, um, maybe some addiction that's that might come up in uh, coaching. And I'm not just thinking of drugs and alcohol. You know, addiction turns up in lots of different ways, mm-hmm. um, like addiction to smartphones. That's a new one at the moment um, and scrolling. But I think go and get some training um, so that you have awareness. 
because that is key to these conversations. And I, you know, and if you want more about like coaching, there's, I mean, there's thousands, thousands of amazing books. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite one, which is a really good book for novices and actually, you know, even coaches that have been coaching a really long time. Uh, it's by a great British coach called Claire Pedrick. And she's also an ICF coach. She does a lot of work with the ICF in the UK. Um, and her book's called Simplifying Coaching. And she kind of really takes it back to some basics and asks some really important fundamental questions about what coaching is and what it should be. And, you know, those sometimes I think when you train to become a coach, you become very process orientated. And this is a Mm -hmm. bit more fundamental than that. So that's a really good go to. Um, Absolutely. Sounds great. The ICF, honestly, the ICF website, the International Coaching Federation, they've got so many resources on there, you know, training, blogs, workshops, the whole lot. Absolutely. I think so often um, we promote leaders into into a leadership role and they they know they're supposed to coach right they've they've got that yeah. message but they don't really think about all the resources that are available mm-hmm. so that's great all right verity if you want listeners to learn more about you and your work where can they find you so linkedin is always a great start um so, so it's just me verity simcox i have a website which is verytysimcox.com there's a resource page being created and uploaded um that's the joy of being <laughs> being a coach you work with other people and you sometimes forget to work on your own business, right? <laughs> Definitely. Um, and if it's a more organization-wide thing, you're interested specifically in this mental health and coaching and organization space, check out 5050coaching.co.uk. Um, we have a lot of blogs on there and talk about what we do and kind of challenging those norms around where coaching can sit within an organization. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Verity. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you for having me on. Honestly, we could talk for hours, I'm sure. I'm sure we could. (laughs) Well, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Verity and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 323. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that. That way you get every new episode as soon as it's posted. You can subscribe for free wherever you listen to podcasts. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in your podcast app of choice or email us if you've got questions, feedback, guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!